With a 50% obesity rate in the U.S. and more unhealthy people than ever before, it is time to make America healthy. Welcome to Make America Healthy with Beth Shaw. If you're feeling tired, toxic, heavy, slow, or stressed, then keep listening. Beth and her expert guests are here to offer practical advice and share the tools you need to reclaim your physical, mental, and emotional health. Now, here is your host, Beth Shaw. Hey, everyone, and happy, happy new year. Happy 2023. Welcome to Make America Healthy, where our goal is to educate you and inspire you and empower you with tools so you can take back control of your own physical and mental health. And I've written four books on health and wellness. They all have yoga in the title. Obviously, I'm hosting this show, Make America Healthy, for a year now. And I'm the founder and CEO of YogaFit Training Systems, the world's largest yoga mind-body school. So as you can imagine, over the course of over 25 years now of being in the health and wellness industry, I've seen a lot of people making all kinds of New Year's resolutions and um, some succeed and some do not and others others of them beat themselves up uh, for, for not succeeding. And so our topic today is New Year's resolutions and how to support them on every level. And we have two amazing guests with us today. We have a behavioral expert and his name is Kurt Nelson. And we also have Candice Nicole, who I know through the Yoga Fit Network, and she's got an amazing company called Humineral, and her products support health and wellness. So we're going to be talking today about goal setting, New Year's resolutions, uh, how to do it properly, how to do it effectively, how to make goals that you can actually stick with, and um, you know how to just extract joy from your life every single day in a very healthy way on every level. So, Kurt Nelson, welcome to Make America Healthy. Uh, I love to talk to behavioral experts because behavioral change is something that I've personally been curious about for my entire life and uh, working with a lot of people who have weight challenges and and various uh, addiction challenges. I I see the struggle people go through and I want to know all about you, what your background is, how you got started, and then we'll do a deep dive towards the second half of the show on how to create behavioral change and how to make changes on a daily basis that you can stick with that become a lifestyle choice. Welcome Mm -hmm. to Make America Healthy. (laughs) Thank you, Beth. I am very, very happy to be here. Uh, It is an honor. So thank you. So how a bit of my background? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I am a behavioral scientist. I have a PhD in IO psychology. I, I am just fascinated um, by why people do what they do. And so that is really the basis of the work that we do. Um, so I have a, a small consulting firm that does work with organizations and helping them understand employee behavior uh, and with that individual behavior uh, as that goes along with it. And then me and uh, another uh, behavioral scientist, Tim Hulhan, have a podcast called Behavioral Grooves where we interview behavioral scientists who do the research, who do some of this really fascinating uh, insights into understanding 
some of those behaviors that we always think, oh, that makes sense. But then it really doesn't once we dig back and we peel back some of the layers. Like you were talking about, we always start with great intentions and New Year's resolutions. And uh, we know from the research that by probably about mid-January, the vast majority of people's resolutions have fallen to the wayside. And, you know, in the fitness industry, and it's well known, and I've done a lot of work in the fitness industry for the past 25 years, uh, gyms are super crowded in January, February, it starts to ease off. And by March, most people who made those resolutions uh, have gone back to their old ways of being. So I have a a big, broad question for you. And that is, I've often heard the statement, how we do one thing is how we do everything. Mm. And... I think about it in relation to, you know, I, I work out a lot. I work a lot. Uh, I, I'm pretty type A. And, uh, you know, I like to say I have very high standards for myself. I, I want to be the best version of myself and try to do as many things as possible to support that. And, and you know, I, I would like to think that that trickles down to every area of my life. So in terms of behavioral science as a Mm -hmm. science, is it true that how we do one thing, we do everything? Um, We definitely have personality and we have different personality profiles. And so you are going to tend to do those things that align with how you are at a base level. So there is... When you say how you are, do you mean like your core values, your ethos, your philosophy for life and living? It's a little bit less than that. It's a a little bit less cognitive. It's a little bit less of thinking about what my beliefs are and what I'm, you know, my my ethos is. And it's more about how we just respond almost at a subconscious level. And so when we look at personality profiles, you know, there's lots of different types that that are out there. And how how many different types of personality profiles are there? Oh my gosh. You, I mean, you can just look at, you know, you have um, everything from um, Big Five to Ocean to the, you know, uh, Strength Finders, all of those different type elements that are out there that people are looking and trying to figure out a little bit more about themselves and a little bit more about what is driving them at that at that base level, as we talked about. Um, now, I would say that when you're thinking about personality, that you you, you describe yourself as type A. And so that type A is a is part of a personality profile that that drives you. And so you are going to approach things because that's the way that you um, think and are appreciative of the world. Other people are, are going to be looking at things differently. That doesn't mean that you have to do everything in that way. And one of the really interesting pieces about um, psychology in this is that we show up in different parts of our life differently. And so... Okay. You know, there is the the, the person that shows up at work um, and that may or may not be the same person that shows up at home or with their friends out drinking um, on a Friday night. And so when we look at that, those are called uh, we have self-identity, but then we have self-schemas and schemas are what we show up within a certain environment or a certain situation. Now, you mentioned the subconscious drivers, mm-hmm. and that's also a topic I, I ponder a lot about. Um, you know, and I often say, if we don't know who's driving the bus, we don't know where that bus is going. And I, I've personally done different therapeutic processes, uh, plant medicine to kind of get to my subconscious, if you will, and clear it out a little bit more <laughs> um, to avoid 
behaviors that may uh, be self-sabotaging, whether it's in business, in my personal life, with my health, whatever. Um, how much of our subconscious do you believe as a behavioral expert is, is re really driving our everyday behaviors and choices? Because choices either add up to more good health or less good health. And I'm talking about physically as well as mentally, emotionally, and, and spiritually. Yeah. There's, there's um, different research on this. So when we think about the behaviors that we elicit during a day, um, the, the low end of kind of the, the elements around this, it kind of estimate about 70% of our behaviors kind of happen at a habitual level or a level where we're not necessarily aware of what we're doing. If you think about driving a car, you know, when you started driving a car, you had to think about every little step about, you know, putting your foot on the brake and how much pressure and different things. Uh, now, if you've driven a car for any point of time, you're not thinking about those behaviors. You're just driving your car. And oftentimes, if you're driving a car to a place where you even where you know where you're going, um, you're not even paying attention to where you are on the road. You just uh, habitually kind of follow that. Um, others actually say it's up to 90% of behaviors are, are kind of in that uh, automatic or automaticity kind of component. Um, so when you think about that, it's a major part of our behavior that goes on. And you also mentioned choices and choices are a really interesting piece because when we think about choices, we always think, oh, I'm totally in control of, of my choices. But we know behavioral biases and various different pieces that sometimes the way that a, a element gets framed, the things that we see or have um, just experienced prior to, you know, making a choice have a have a really big influence upon how that choice is actually done. And so there's lots of environmental and other factors that come into why we make good choices or why we don't make good choices. Okay, so let's drill this down to New Year's resolutions. Okay. You know, most people's resolutions, myself included, and I, I like to consider myself a fairly fit person, um, most people's New Year's resolutions are about losing weight. And mm -hmm. we have a 50% obesity rate in the U.S. right now, and, and uh, that's going to be climbing in the next 10 years to 60%. Uh, obviously, that should be on a lot of people's list if it's not. Uh, so people, people are making choices to do dry January, to work out more. That's why the gyms are so crowded. Um, you know, there's a whole host of other resolutions that, that people get into, but a lot of them do revolve around health. And I'm... Wondering, um, and if you could categorize this for me, you know, there are people that are aware of the fact that they are making choices that are not contributing to their health because mm -hmm. this show is called Make America Healthy. So they're they're aware that they're making choices that are not contributing to their health in in, in a positive way. There, uh, then there are people who are just checked out and clueless and and are not even thinking about the process packaged foods and the french fries and things that they're eating as um, contributing to a negative health status. And, and they're the people who, you know, kind of have a handle on that. So, you know, what do you do with those two different groups um, who may be making resolutions, uh, may not have the self-awareness, uh, some people may say, or the self-discipline, whatever, and and I want to get into that word discipline, too, as we mm -hmm. move on with our conversation. 
Uh, where do you start with people who, let's say, have a New Year's uh, resolution of losing weight, going to the gym more, yeah. but they are not participating in behaviors that are, are you know, supporting their goal? Yeah. So there's there's a couple things. Then there's a lot to unpack here, right? So the first piece is just how are you framing the the goal or the resolution that you're trying to achieve? One of those that you talked about is I want to lose 20 pounds or I want to have a very specific uh, component. And those are good goals typically because they're specific and you can track and measure your progress towards them in various different pieces. But they're not always very motivational goals or, or goals. Or once you achieve that, they don't have lasting impact. You talked about, I think, prior to getting on, you know, um, the biggest loser and the number of people who have gone back to their original weight or probably or people who win the lottery and then end up broke uh, three years later. Yeah. And so you're you're not driving fundamental change in who you are or in your behaviors. And so possible. It is. It is. It is very possible. And and so part of this is going into um, th- there's a whole bunch of research on habits. There's a whole bunch of research on routines um, and how you then self-identify yourself. You talked earlier, you, you think of yourself as, as a type A personality. We know that personalities, while they're pretty consistent, they do morph over time and they, they do change. So the person that you were at 20. Yeah, I've, gotten, I've gotten a lot more type B due to yoga and other yeah. mind-body disciplines. And that's exactly it. You, you. So there's there's this element that, that we have. Otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> there's an element that's called cognitive dissonance. And so if our behaviors are different than our self, kind like, of our perceived self identity, there's this element that we get this sense of angst within ourselves, and we have to somehow dissipate that. Now, oftentimes we do it very poorly, and we discount it, or we attribute it to something else, or we just ignore it, various different things. But Or if we participate in the same behaviors that we're trying to change. For example, people who want to drink less, but, you know, and then they're upset because they're not, and then they're, they're actually having a cocktail to get yeah, over it, right? Because they're having a cocktail because they have to get over it. So those are the pieces that when you think about this, that if you take um, those elements and if you can tap into that angst that you're feeling, that can lead to long-term kind of identity change and personality change. So those are there are ways of doing that. So what you're saying, and I, and I can relate to this um, more along the the lines of relationships. I have at times been a love addict mm-hmm. to certain people, and you know, I I you had the experience of sitting in in this place of pain. Uh, that felt so bad and so deep that I was actually able to make positive change from that deep well of pain. Um, are you, so from what I'm hearing, is that you say discomfort? Um, do you think mm-hmm. that people only make changes when they're forced to because it is so painful? Let's say they're obese and they have a health mm-hmm. crisis or they're drinking too much and they have a car accident, end up in AA, or, uh, you know, they're, they have anger management issues and they get fired from it. Like, it, do you think as humans, we need to have that certain pain point before we turn it around? So you had talked earlier about the people who are self-aware and those who are not. And so... Um, in those situations where people are not self-aware about their own destructive behaviors, 
those pain points, those massive pain points are really um, sometimes the, the impetus that that drive that change. If you are self-aware, though, you can you can make those changes uh, in a more formalized way without having a massive trauma in your life or a massive element of going through a, a massive breakup or, as you said, you know, getting um, a, a drunk driving kind of element in there. But, you know, a lot of people, I've spent a lot of time around 12-step people um, and and done like a year of Al-Anon myself. Uh, I, I think that a lot of people who end up, and it's dry January, so this is very relevant. A lot of uh, people who end up in a 12-step in a program, let's, let's say due to drugs and alcohol in particular, have had to hit some type of pretty serious bottom. Mm-hmm. Or they're motivated to make that change. Is that just a certain personality archetype, or are what percentage of of people need to experience that deep level of pain, trauma, you know, crisis before they, or someone, let's say, who weighs two hundred and twenty five pounds, and you know they're having a high blood pressure, or maybe they had a heart attack, um, you know. And I also want to get to with you, like how to make the changes before you get to those crisis points. Mm -hmm. Why don't more people do that? But, um, you know, talk to me a little bit about the different personality types and and how they affect positive change. Yeah. So when you're thinking about the, you talked about people in 12-step programs, right, where they're going through this. And we know that most people who are going through um, kind of those addiction crises, that, that the first treatment typically isn't the one that sticks. They have to do it multiple times. And those are addictive kind of components. And w- one of the things that I always tell people is behavior change is actually um both it's it's really a contradictory because it's it's hard right we know that we're trying to make a change we we are consciously saying i need to lose weight i need to do different things i need to eat differently i need to exercise more and yet we get stuck in status quo and i'm sitting in front of the couch watching a television show as opposed to getting on uh going out and going for a walk or doing some type of exercise or instead of eating the apple there's a cupcake there and i will eat the cupcake and those are like momentary um elements where we're we're kind of being enticed and our willpower isn't enough to be able to withhold that and that's so. like, okay, so I'm doing dry January. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do it every year. And, you know, and believe me, I, I do like to have cocktails because I like to have a good time. But I also love the feeling of waking up and not have having cocktails the night before because my workouts are better. I'm clear. My waistline mm-hmm. is a little thinner. I think I, I look a little better in my face. Uh, you know, and, and vanity runs a lot of my personal world. But, um you know, even in uh, what's the fourth day of January, I, Candace and I had a dinner the other night. She offered me wine. Uh, we went out for Mexican food last night. I would have loved to have had a margarita. So I was on the airplane. People were drinking. So I noticed, I, thank you. I noticed within myself, like, even not like that's not my, you know, addiction, but I noticed even within myself, like any of those moments where I would have just succumbed to, you know, oh, why not? Or, oh, it's just a momentary indulgence is then going to put me off track. So Mm -hmm. how do we encourage people to make better choices in the moment? And obviously, 
being well-rested, eating healthy food, being clear, exercising, you know, having your cognition online is going to help. But, but, but because life exists on a moment-by-moment, choice-by-choice basis, and, and I believe that the bodies that we have are the sum of the choices that we've made, mm-hmm. and Dr. Bruce Lipton with his theory of epigenetics and how you can outwit your DNA, despite what might be, you know, in your gene code, with healthy lifestyle choices, like how do we get people to make the the best choice to support their higher good in that moment? So there's a really interesting component, which is called implementation intentions. And so um, we act differently in hot states versus cold states. So in cold state is when I'm sitting here confidently thinking, what am I going to eat um, for dinner tonight? Um, or what am I going to do tomorrow for my exercise routine? And you have the best intentions in the world. Um, but then what ends up happening is that you get in the moment and there's uh, temptation or various different pieces. And so what you can do is set up what we do is if-then statements. So if I am going to be tempted with a drink during you know dry January, I will refuse that drink. And, and just that little bit, it seems really simple. But that little trick of, of understanding what are going to be those temptations that I might run into has a really powerful impact. And because you know it's dry January for you, that's how, because you're going, oh, this is dry January, so I, this, I don't do that in this, this time period. And because it is also a, a set time period, you know what it is. You can measure how successful you are. You have all sorts of positive um, drivers for that behavior. And so the dopamine that gets released within your brain, which is that wanting um, kind of neurochemical that that drives some of this, is actually being forced with some of these other motivations as well. Okay, so, so you're saying you can shift the dopamine receptors just by having an intention and mm-hmm. making a very firm decision. You know, it's interesting because what I'm hearing from you is that it's almost like people have to do a cost-benefit analysis for every choice that they're going to make mm-hmm. that may not lead them towards the direction they want to be in. I know when I went yeah. gluten-free um, over 10 years ago, I, I took a saliva test that showed I was highly gluten intolerant. At that moment, I just made a decision, no more gluten. Mm-hmm. And that was that because, you know, uh, I didn't want to compromise my health. And obviously, I don't eat gluten. I mean, like when I was in France, I think I had a piece of bread. When I was in Turkey, I had a bite of simit. But I I don't eat gluten because I did eat gluten, actually. Once in 2020, I had a lobster roll. And I woke up the next day feeling like I had the worst gluten hangover of my life. (laughs) I was so foggy. It was was like I had had 10 cocktails the night before. And I I had to remind myself, oh, that's why I don't do that. So Um, it's the feeling then. Because sometimes we tell ourselves, I'm not going to do that, but then we do it anyway. Yes. So yeah. what he's saying, I'm wondering like. So are you saying thing? that we connect? That's a great yeah. question, Ken. Are, are you saying that we should connect w- with this if-then statement? We should connect with how we're going to feel if we make the choice that is not supporting our highest good. And a lot of times two people are going to then not just like, okay, I ate French fries and a pizza and had six cocktails, but then I'm also going to beat myself on top of the, the negative effects of whatever I ingested. Then I'm going to beat myself up psychologically yes. because I did that. And then I'm going to ask you another so question, Kurt, 
are some people addicted to berating themselves and, and, and beating themselves up psychologically so they continue to make choices that are not in in uh, in alignment with their highest good. Yeah. Yeah, they are addicted to that feeling. Yeah. So a couple couple different questions there. So I'll start with a lot of you. I know. Start start with the first one where you're talking about connecting the emotional side. Like, how am I going to feel in those moments? And the more that you can um, bring an emotional element into um, why you're trying to do your behavior change, the better off, the more likely that that behavior change is going to happen. We we like to think of ourselves as rational individuals and human beings. And in reality, again, uh, most of our decisions are based off an emotional response that we rationalize after the fact. So the more that you can kind of connect. Because I think our listeners need to hear that. And speaking of listeners, if you're listening to this show and want to call in with a question, you can give us a call at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. 5792, if you would like to ask any of us a question today, we're taking callers today. Yeah, so so what I was saying is that we like to think of ourselves as rational and, and rational human beings, but most of our behavior, or not most, but a lot of our behavior is driven by that emotion. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that we then rationalize our behavior after the fact. And so when we look back at our decisions... That's just really telling ourselves, I mean... That we're kind of lying to ourselves at that it point, is. aren't we? It is. We are. We 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 want to keep a self. We we never like to have ourself viewed in a negative light. I mean, there's very few people by, our, by ourselves. By, by ourselves. You- by ourselves. And so our brain does these little little kind of gymnastics, right? And it and it and it kind of takes things. And it you know, so for instance, if you did take a drink during January, right? There's probably something in the back of your head that will go, oh, I did it because of these things were making me do this. And you will rationalize it away. It might not be fully, you know, rationalized, but there is that aspect that that's what happens. And most people tend to think about that, don't tend to think about that. And it just happens. And so, therefore, it's like, oh, I can't. I can't go out and work today because it's cold and man, I just really, I didn't get a very good sleep last night. Well, we have a, we have a caller with a question. Um, so we're going to let her in and then we're going to get back to this because I, I think this show could be done like for four hours. This topic. <laughs> Hi there. Hello. Hi, it's Mindy here in Maine. Hey and Mindy. Comment. Yes. Comment on the if then. So I was thinking maybe it could be like, if I want to have a drink, then I will say no and yes to a mocktail. Mm. So if I want to drink, I'll say no and then yes to something else that I enjoy or connection, calling somebody up. Yeah, Mindy, that's a, that's a really great point. And so, what you can do is is instead, you replace the the, the negative behavior with a positive behavior. And we know from mm-hmm. a from habit kind of elements, this is another great way. If you're trying to start a new habit or build a new habit, what you want to do is you want right. to connect it to other you know habits that you're already doing, and maybe just replacing right. those things with different pieces. So the, the idea of like 
yeah, I want to have a drink, but instead I'm going to have a mocktail. That is perfect because now you've set your course and you know, you don't have to think about it when you're in that moment. Now it becomes, oh, no, nope, right. I'm going to have a mocktail. Just yeah. give me the, give me the Shirley Temple or whatever it would be. And that'll get that dopamine going, right? <laughs> yeah, it'll still do it. It'll still make that yeah. um, element where you're going, yeah, this is good. Now, Again, this isn't this isn't a, a silver bullet that's going to change your 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 right. life and, an and you know it's it's it helps, but it isn't the only thing that's going to drive it. So wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. I'm enjoying the show. It's it's much needed. <laughs> Happy New Year, Mindy, and thank you so much for calling in. Thank you for being there. Bye. Bye. So, um, Kurt, I. Used to allow myself to eat French fries once a month when I had PMS. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, I know that French fries are fried in all kinds of weird vegetable oils that are so bad for us and potatoes are full of fluoride. Uh, last summer, I just kind of decided no more French fries. Hmm. And, and I'm going to, this is, I'm, I'm framing this in a question for you because now every time I think like I haven't had French fries in, in six months. Am I releasing dopamine in my brain to support me never having another French fry again in my life? So, um, not sure if you're releasing dopamine around that. It kind of depends on a lot of different factors that are going into that. But what you're talking about, and this is another great way for people to help them kind of achieve kind of their New Year's resolutions or goals or anything that they're trying to accomplish is what you've done is you've started to maintain a streak and you're thinking about it as to how many months, how many days have I gone without a French fry? And one of the things that we know is that we are really motivated. And again, that dopamine release gets there from the perspective of saying, I want to keep that streak going. Now, this is also can have a negative impact because if we do let ourselves down. In other words, that we we break and we have a French fry or, you know, I've gone to the gym five days a week, you know, for the past four weeks and now I, I only get made it twice and therefore I, you know, I'm, I'm a failure in different pieces and you'd have that, that it's called the what the hell effect. Um, and the what the hell effect basically says then you just, everything blows up. And so we have to have a little bit of compassion for ourselves too in this from the perspective to say, um, you know, we can we can allow ourselves a little bit of grace. Katie Milkman, who is a professor at University of Pennsylvania, did really cool research on this where she looked at people's and their exercise habits and getting people to go to the gym. And those people who set a kind of a more flexible gym element um, stayed with their exercise longer and were, um, you know, much more uh, achievement oriented once that got there. So in other words, Instead of saying, I'm going to go to the gym Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, they're going to say, I'm going to go to the gym three times this week. And I also have myself, uh, like it's a cheat day or, or whatever, if you want to think about it from a diet perspective. And I have one of those a month. And those people tend to last longer in their behavior that they're doing. So you're saying we should be compassionate with ourselves, which I do believe. Um, but we need to also limit uh, that compassion like you you know you can't be eating french fries every day and then just no. passionate with yourself because then you know you're really I, I believe you're in a state of denial yeah. and your you know one-time indulgence has now turned into a very detrimental habit 
Along those lines, um, and you know, we we had Dr. Pam Peek on about the obesity crisis in this country. And one thing that I, I still really don't understand, and maybe you can shed some light on this, um, I'm going to use weight as an example. Let's say I put on five pounds, mm-hmm. and then I put on 10 pounds, and then that 10 pounds turns to 20. And then the, we know the average COVID weight gain was 29 pounds, so now I'm up to 29 pounds. Like, at what point do you think most people realize whatever their behavior is that is detrimental to their health and well-being, at what point do they realize, hey, I better turn this shit around or it's really going to get out of control? And, and, and I know, like, I spent a lot of time measuring my body mass muscle versus body fat on an in-body. I, I go to my doctor probably once a month to, to do that test. And if I see that my body fat percentage went from 15.2 up to 19 and my muscle mass dropped, I know that I need to get into some action to turn that around. But, you know, how far do people let themselves slide before they pull themselves back over the fence. And the more they let themselves slide, I would imagine it's harder literally and figuratively to pull yourself over that fence, especially if you have an extra 29 pounds of COVID weight on your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. So one of the things that you're talking about is, and I'm going to use a different element to to kind of talk about this, an, an element that's called the hedonic treadmill. And so this goes to things that we get pleasure from or various different pieces. So for instance, there's lots of research on if I just made, if I'm making 50,000, I, I say, if I just make 75,000, everything will be, um, everything will be great in my life. If I'm making 75,000, if I just make a hundred thousand, everything will be great in my life. But when you get to that level, um, all of a sudden you're striving for that next because we, we acclimate. Is that a, is that a, is that a bad thing or is that? Well, so this is that's a, that's, always being better. Yeah. So that's an, it's an interesting piece. It's part of the reason why we as humans have done as much as we have, right? Because we don't settle for this. And so that's not necessarily, it's not a bad thing per se. It is a bad thing when we think that, oh, if I just achieve this goal, then my entire life, I'm going to be happy because then you're always set up for, for kind of having that, that kind of rejection yeah. of, of the, like, oh, I'm not happy. And I would, but it's not bad to say, hey, the journey there is going to be good, and then I'm going to want something more, and I'm going to understand that I need something more. But you were talking about kind of weight gain and the, the idea that we, we become acclimated to these things, particularly slow changes. We are not aware of the slow changes that happen in our lives. Listen, for everyone who gained that 29 pounds during COVID, and I get it, uh, you had to probably go buy some new clothes. Mm-hmm. I talked to somebody the other day who said she had to take all of her clothes to the tailor and get all, them all altered because she's gained some me- menopause weight that she can't get rid of. Uh, she has a very expensive clothes, so she was complaining a lot. It's costing <laughs> alter everything. Well, she says she can't lose it. But, um, but in any event, you know, now you have to go, you have to buy new clothes. Like, when is that slap in the face wake up call to be like, hey, drastic measure needs to be taken right now? And this this can relate to weight. It can relate to uh, alcohol or drug consumption. It can be, uh, I don't know, anything that people are addicted to, uh, online shopping, um, you know, anything that's getting in the way of you living your best life. Yeah. 
And to your point, you talked about this earlier. There, there are those moments that come and they're all going to be individual. I remember, um, you know, many years ago where I, uh, I go on a golf trip with a bunch of, you know, 20, 25 other buddies, right? And we're going there and I always thought, oh, I'm one of the skinny guys, right? And then I looked at a picture and all of a sudden I'm like, going, I didn't recognize myself. Because I'm like going, oh, I'm with kind of the overweight guys. And that that was one of those wake-up calls for me. And there I went and I ended up losing 25 pounds after that. But, you know, that there are those types of moments. And for any person, it's going to be different. But you have to, you have to think about the element that we aren't really good at seeing gradual change, right? And so you talk about like buying new clothes. Well, if I only, you know, I probably have that pair of pants that... I can still fit into, and then I buy one new pair of pants that is, you know, a little bit larger size, various different pieces. And so you can be in denial around all of this as well. And sometimes it takes somebody from the outside coming in and saying, hey, you know, I, I'm really concerned and, and, and taking that approach. You know, we had a gentleman, he's been on the show twice, once when I had Dr. Pam Peek on and also, uh, a few weeks ago when we did uh, a Reiki healing show, uh, his name is Tom Samoda, and he actually, uh, he got married and saw his wedding picture and and was like, who's that fat guy? Mm-hmm. And he picked up my book, Yoga Lean, and uh, did it himself. He has lost 79 pounds over the course <laughs> of 14 months just following that program. Would you say that that is kind of an unusual Example of someone making behavioral change, or do you believe that most people, if if they really wanted to, and I'm going to use the word discipline, but I think a lot of people don't like that word. Like, what does it take to just do it on your own and just be like, I'm going to make this change and I need to like get into action right now? Yeah. So if you do have one of those aha moments, that picture, your wedding picture, whatever it would be, all of those factors. One of the things that we we tend to do is, oh, I'm going to be, I'm so motivated by this that that's going to drive me. And what we know is that that's definitely never the case, right? It, or very rarely. There are very few people that by willpower alone, are they going to be able to make those changes, particularly when life is kind of revolving around that. So we know, again, people um, who are around others on a Saturday night who are going out with your friends and they're all eating, you know, hamburgers and ice cream what am I more likely to do? I'm more likely to eat hamburgers and ice cream. And so you have to make um, a, a plan on how you're going to approach it and make those systematic systemic changes within your life. One of the great uh, examples I, I talk about is there was a gentleman who wanted to learn how to play guitar, but he would, and he had the best plan. He said, I'm going to come home every night after work and I'm going to play an hour of guitar. I'm going to practice. And what ended up is he would go home tired after work. And what does he do? He sits down on his couch. What's right in front of him? The TV remote. So he picks up the TV remote. What's he do? He turns on the television and he sits there for the next three hours and he doesn't ever pick up his guitar. So what he did is he just, he made a simple change. He said he moved the television into his bedroom and he put his guitar next to the couch. And so he still came home. He sat down on the couch. Now he didn't have a remote to turn on the television, but his guitar was right there. So what did he do? He started practicing guitar. And those are the types of things that if you can set up your environment in order to make the behavior that you want easier and the behavior that you don't want harder, that is what actually really helps people in making those changes. 
So I'm currently running, uh, we just started, uh, we had a soft launch last night and actually the program starts next week, but we're running an eight week yoga lean online uh, weight loss, weight management group. Um, Mm -hmm. One of our yoga fit trainers who is also a psychotherapist and uh, we run these, you know, classes and seminars and all of that. And I ran something um, last year for a month called SOS sort of sober to help people reduce their alcohol consumption. I kind of did it for uh, selfish reasons. I was going off to Harvard for three weeks and I knew there'd be a lot of drinking there. So I wanted to take a, you know, a month of, of not doing that in mm-hmm. preparation. But, um, you know, we find that a lot of the people who stick with the program uh, get success. And a big component of the program is being around a supportive environment of people who all have the same goal in mind and, and people make friends uh, in the group. And I know some people who did our Yoga Lean online group in 2020 are now like still checking in with each other once every two weeks to see where they're at. Um, what is what is the importance of having a strong support network? Like I have a friend, she's she's not drinking and every day she texts me, how you doing? And she's doing water fasting. She texts me every day. She's like, you should fast today. Um, <laughs> so what is, what is the value of having a support person, support network, or hiring a coach or joining a group? It is, it's um, super important. I don't want to, I want to stress this. It is really important to get the people around you supporting you in the behavior change that you're trying to do. Because one of the biggest reasons that people fail is because, you know, all of a sudden you're doing something different and it doesn't necessarily align with what other people around you are doing. Now, with that, I think there's a couple different interesting pieces is that the the support that you can have, we kind of, I, I've kind of outlined this into three areas. One is you can be that cheerleader. You can be that person who, yay, way to go. You know, Beth, keep, keep up that sober, you know, January, way to go. I'm really proud of you, all of those types of things. And that, that helps, right? That gives you that emotional boost. There's also a coach kind of role that you can play. So that is, uh, all right, here are the things that you need to do. I've gone through this. I've, you know, here's here's the tricks that I've used. Here's some some ways to, to think about this or ways to do that. And that's that's another really good way of doing that. And then third, you can have what, what I call the ref, right? This person who is the accountability person there, who's sitting there and calling you every day. How'd you do? You know, did you go and do your exercises? Did you not do that? And they're going to hold you to the fire if you don't. And so you have that cheerleader, that coach, and that rep. Now, one person can play all three of those roles sometimes, um, but others can't. So I, when I was doing my PhD program, I actually asked my wife, I go, can you, can you do this for me? Can you hold me accountable? And she's like, no, I can't. I can be the biggest cheerleader in the world. But I don't want to be that accountability person because that's a different role and, and we, that might change our relationship. And so sometimes you have to find people, different people to hold different roles in how they're helping you in supporting your behavior change. That's really interesting. I'm writing that down because uh, we have a, a large number of people in our yoga lean uh, group and I like to break them into groups. And I think I might break them into groups of free three and uh, assign one the ref role, uh, one the coach role, and the other the cheerleader role and see how that goes. So thanks. Um, Yeah, and I think it's hard, you know, people the closest to you, you don't necessarily want them to be your coach because that puts them in a a strange 
or, or, or the ref, right? Or you, the ref. Or the yeah. ref. You, you don't yeah. want them because you can feel some, you know, the, the account, the person holding you accountable can't just give in. They have to be there and, and you have to respect them. Um, but you also, you, there can be some angst there. You can have some kind of tension in those types of moments. Wonderful. So um, I'm going to segue a little bit just to the importance of keeping yourself as clear as possible while making your New Year's resolutions and sticking with them. And that is to make sure you're getting good quality sleep, Mm. make sure you're eating a clean diet Um, make sure that you are engaging in some type of a mindfulness or meditation practice. Obviously, I'm a big proponent of yoga. Um, And we have uh, Candice Nicole with us from Humineral. I just started retaking her minerals again. And um, Candice, can you talk a little bit about minerals and how they affect maybe even us making better choices because our brains are working better? Yes. So I love what he was saying, and I'm watching you write this down, having the coach and the rep. I really feel health is about a lifestyle. It's an everyday lifestyle. So you have to, you have, health is an everyday lifestyle. So you have to, I feel, in making choices, you have to do something good for yourself every day. So if that's starting in the morning before you even get out of bed with your meditation, um, if it's working out every week and every month. And that's how you check in with yourself and you have a healthy lifestyle because I feel like it's hard to find a rest sometimes. So I'm going to just interrupt you and say like some people think they're rewarding themselves with a cocktail, Mm -hmm. a piece of cake. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I believe like every day that you go to the gym or do workout or yoga, Mm -hmm. like you're giving yourself a gift. That's the gift I like to give to myself. I agree with you. How do we get people then to look at health as a gift as opposed to negative, more negative uh, things as a gift. Yeah. So friends are the hardest people to talk to, but usually they have issues going on and you can see it. So it is a conversation you have to have with friends or people that you don't know it's easier. But I have found to help people, um, I just address like, you know, a lot of people have weight issues, for instance. A lot of my friends um, seem to have weight issues. So I have very few friends with weight issues. I don't know what it is. I don't, I have all, everyone around me. I, I don't think people with weight issues really want to be my friend because <laughs> I'm annoying AF okay. to those people. <laughs> well, I, I'm very, I'm trying to be very nice to people, but I'm very direct. And um, in, in my world, like with my yoga world, with doing yeah. what you do, I'm in health. So everyone at large in my world that I work with is, is very healthy. But I have personal friends for the last 20 years who are not in health. Sure. So they are not healthy. So weight is an issue. And so when I see that, I start to talk to them about their choices. So like you're right, if they're out and they're having a cocktail and you want to lose weight, well, then choose something else. It's a choice you have to make. That's what I tell them. Right. And is that is that um, I'm going to go to our behavioral expert for a minute, Kurt, Kurt because I know this. Um, I, I was teaching in Japan recently and actually there was one of our. Uh, instructors who actually had the opposite program. She was anorexic, mm. pretty anorexic, like maybe five foot two and and thirty kilos, and it was very disturbing to me. Um, 
And so I said to her, I was like, listen, you need to gain eight to 12 kilos. And then I started to do more research on eating disorders. And, and with people with eating disorders, you can't just tell them, hey, gain 25 pounds. Right. Mm-hmm. I, well, am I right, Kurt? Mentally. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. So our brains, um, as much as we love our brains and everything, but they, they tend to fool us, right? They, they, they trick us. And it goes back to that self-identity that we talked about. And we like to see ourselves in a good thing. And so that person who's anorexic, and I'm not an expert in, in this, but I do know that, uh, you know, oftentimes they see themselves as being overweight. They, they actually, when they look at a picture of themselves with their face, they go, oh, that person, I'm, I'm, I need to lose 10 pounds. If you cover up their face and they can't identify themselves, that it's them, they realize that that person is anorexic. Okay, so does an obese person think that they're thin? Or Sometimes now, I, and, and again, this isn't everybody, but but that can be that can be some of the, the pieces that go on. And so, having that ideal um, perception of who you are, right, is is some of the things our brains tend to kind of they they try it tries to trick us to make so sure that we're feeling we, good. What can we do to shift our brains to be? As I guess, as I would say in some of these programs, like take a ruthless and honest inventory of yourself. And before he answers that, I have a question. So I have a couple people that I know. um, They will spend two or three hundred dollars on their hair. Uh, It's fabulous. But they are so overweight and they're unhappy about it and they know it and talk about it. And so I give them a routine. I tell them what to do and they just can't. I had a cousin like that. So why is that? Because, so I feel it's a discipline, which the word people don't like. Yes. But it's a, you have to think lifestyle is every day. And I feel like people make choices in the moment, not realizing that this is every day. This is a lifestyle choice I'm about to make. That's going to affect me every day. Yeah. I feel like you have to like, look at everything. Like it's a lifestyle choice. You know, you don't just stay healthy like that. Look at her. It's, Working out all the time. We had a yoga class there last night. It was awesome. So I'd like to know why do they do that? It, the, the, so there's there's probably a, a multitude of different you know rationale behind that. But one of the big pieces is that we get stuck in what's called status quo bias. This idea that we kind of you know the everyday things that we do. Um, even when we know that if I made a change, that it would be a better change for me, it's really difficult to to overcome. And so we get stuck in these routines, we get stuck in these patterns and trying to change them. So just like Beth, what you said, you can't just tell somebody, oh, you need to gain eight kilos or you need to lose 30 pounds, right? That doesn't do anything. You have to connect somehow. They have to be the ones um, who are going to make that change and realize that change, that this is something that is important for them. Which, and so, which takes us right back to the original question that I still have. How do we get these people to change? Right. <laughs> well, or, and one or, of the how, things... Or, or, or how do they get themselves to change? Because at the end of the day, it's like if you have a personal trainer, great. If you have a psychotherapist, fabulous. If you have a doctor, mm, could be good or not. But at the end of the day, we're the ones who need to take control of our own health physically and mentally every single day because right. your therapist is right. not going to be with you 24-7. Right. Your personal right. trainer is not going to be with you all the time. So it's up to you. That's like, amazing. how do we, how do, someone listening right now and they're like, I really want to make a change. I, I have 
40 pounds I want to lose? Like, how am I going to make the shift within myself to make this happen? So here's, 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 and, and again, there, there is no silver bullet. If there was, I'd be, you know, making millions and, and everything else. But one of the things that we know is you can set up what we call keystone goals. And so I think, uh, you know, Candace, you were talking about this, right? This idea that you have these um, big goals that these are the things like sleep, eating right, exercising that have a larger impact on our lives beyond just getting more sleep. And so I feel more restful. We know that our brains work better. Um, we have healthier outcomes. There's a whole, a whole lot more energy that we have during the day. All our of dietary factors. choices are very affected by sleep or no sleep. I yes. know that if I'm sleeping yes. less than, than six and a half, seven hours, I'm craving sugar, I'm craving carbs, and I'm a very miserable person to be. <laughs> So we know that those are keystone, those are keystone goals. And so those are good. So if we can kind of figure those out, but they're not enough. What we have to do then is break down those goals into what do I need to do every single day? And so when I, when I figure out what I need to do every single day, then I have to put a plan together. Now we can visualize that and what success looks like. The biggest thing though, is that um, we also need to visualize what are going to be those impediments. What are the roadblocks to get in the way? Um, and so if we understand what those roadblocks are, then we can build in some of those if-then statements that we talked about earlier. But then we also set up the environment around um, ourselves with the folks, the, the friends, the accountability, the refs, the coaches, the cheerleaders. We, we structure our environment different. So if I have Oreos in the cupboard, I move them down to the basement. So those are the things that we do. We're going to have you back in January because this is there's so much to unpack. This is such a great topic. So relative. We're actually we're we're out of time. Tell our listeners where they can find you. You have a website. Yeah. So you can go out to um, www.behavioralgrooves, um, and it's uh, that's where we have our podcast and we talk again these types of of conversations with uh, people who are much brighter than me. Wonderful, Candace. Tell us where we can find your minerals. Humineral.com, which I didn't get a chance to tell you a lot about it. But, but we're, we're going to have you back, it. too. Okay. We're going to just carry this show on again. Um, so thank you guys thank so you. much. Um, check out Humineral.com. These minerals are amazing. Everybody needs minerals. Uh, you can visit me on Instagram at BethShawHealth. Uh, also find me BethShaw.com if you're interested in joining our Yoga Lean group. Please email me at Beth at YogaFit.com or go to YogaFit.com and you can save 15% at checkout by using the code VOICE22. Uh, this was such a great show. We, we just really ran out of time. Uh, please share this show with anybody who needs to make a change. Uh, be healthy. Happy New Year. To be continued. Sending you all lots of love for the new year. Namaste, everybody. Thanks to our guests. Thank Happy you. Happy 2023. Happy 2023. Thanks for joining us on Make America Healthy. We hope we've given you some tools you need to take back control of your health. Until next time, we wish you a healthy and wonderful week.